Kyle Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on Chai FM, where we've always got the latest news, the latest reviews, and the latest info and insight into what's happening in this crazy tech world that we all live in. And you know, please excuse me, but I consider tech to be pretty much like uh, breathing air. Without tech, it's hard to breathe, hard to live. And there's no question that things are just getting more techy by the day. It's invading every single little aspect of our lives. And I believe in many cases just bringing huge, huge, huge benefit to pretty much all of us across the globe and certainly across this wonderful land that we do live in. Now, if any of you are iPhone fans and yesterday you had some issues with your phone, we always have this thing where... When it doesn't work or backups don't happen or something goes wrong, you blame the networks and you tell them, ah, the data's not right or something's going on. But anyway, um, a couple of people in the U.S. reported that the iCloud system experienced a widespread service disruption. Uh, and it was actually noted on the system status page, but Apple, as usual, keep extremely quiet, you know, sort of in their distortion field. It feels like you're the one that's the creating the problems. Well, it wasn't you absolutely wasn't you yesterday. It was Apple. The iCloud services went down across a whole range of different things. So your backups, your photos, all sorts of other iCloud drive and and a couple of the productivity apps. So if you try to access, you know, access some of your your documents or some of your spreadsheets or some of your presentations, they weren't loading. And as usual, as I said, a friend of mine was shouting and screaming how bad X service providers because the data never works. Well, it was actually iCloud. The other little problem that it could have caused is that the keychain, in other words, you with Apple, you can save in iCloud, you can save all your passwords into the, into the cloud. And when you need them, they just pop up and your apps just open or your websites just connect. That stopped working as well. I actually had that problem yesterday as well. So you know, just be patient. These things do happen, but it would be nice if Apple would actually tell us or notify us when there's a, an outage so that we don't have to sit around wondering why we can't log on to our favorite services. So just stay alert. These things do happen. Shouldn't happen as often. Well, they actually don't happen that often. So when they happen, don't always blame the poor networks. Give them a hard time. In other more uh, sort of positive and exciting news, we had our medium-term budget yesterday. And it was, well, pretty well received across the board, not from a technology point of view. Very little was said in that regard, other than the government is still committed to getting the spectrum out there as quickly as possible. They've stopped interfering in the whole set-top box on the digital dividend thing, which is another really good thing. They finally admitted that they are not the best people to manage, sell, and control all the um desktop or the desktop boxes or the back back set boxes to create the opportunity for those without digital TVs, which is starting to roll out. They say that that's going to start rolling out in the free state, interestingly, next year. And by 2020, they hope to beat us, beat that deadline. It's only five years off the ITU deadline of 2015. But anyway, they're promising that South Africa will be fully digital by 2020. And there seems to be enough budgetary support and enough government focus on actually delivering that we may well hit that that um, that sort of milestone or that 
sort of agenda by then. And slowly but surely, all the TVs will switch off. And if you're using a pair of bunny ears or an old analog uh, aerial for whatever reason to receive TV signals from a transmitter, they will simply disappear and you won't be able to use them. You'll either have to get yourself a little set-top box and retune your antenna to the new digital signals, which may or may not work with the current ones. That's remains to be seen, but apparently you will need to change your aerial. You'll have to change your your system. And if you've got an older TV that has no digital capability, all the new ones, all the new ones in the last two years that have been sold have digital tuners built in, so they should be ready to go from the get-go. But anyone else who's got an older TV will need a little adapter, a little set-top box, which will then tune the signal in for a digital TV. And I can see, are we having a quick break for an advert? And we will be back with some more news straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Now back to the tech of the day. This week marked an interesting launch uh, as of Tuesday, and that is our friends at Huawei. People want to know, um, you know, how to pronounce it. It's who are we or Huawei. Anyway, Huawei have become the number two retailer or seller of smartphones or phones globally in the last couple of months. And they've done an incredible job of getting from pretty much nowhere, from being a small Chinese manufacturer to being a globally relevant uh, player in the in the smartphone space. So Samsung is number one, Huawei is number two, and Apple on number three. But um, there you have it. But they launched their latest flagship, and there's no question. We are extremely spoilt at the moment, not from a financial point of view, but certainly from a device point of view. There has never been a bigger, better, and I've used bigger in an advisory. They're, all these phones are big, all over 6-inch screens, 6.4, 6.3, 6.5, um, huge screens. But they, there has never been a better range of smartphones available. And the new Mate 20 Pro is the, I would say, third and last of the big phones to be launched this year. We've had the Samsung Galaxy Note 9, we've had the iPhone XR, or sorry, XR, which doesn't sell tomorrow, by the by, Um, the iPhone XS and XS Max, and now the Mate 20 Pro. And um, I attended the the launch, and I must tell you from initial, I'm waiting for a review unit so I can do it properly, but my initial impression of playing with this new Huawei is that it's an absolute technological tour de force. They've thrown absolutely every possible technology you can imagine at the phone. It has a really pretty amazing six point, just under 6.4 inch screen. It's curved, it's bright, it's beautiful. But the standout features, well, there are two standout features and one super cool feature. The standout feature is the Leica uh, created rear lens or, t- or, or camera system. There are three different cameras on the back and a really smart flash along with um, one of the first of the new generation Android phones with a 7 nanometer processor. So it's super fast. It's got built-in intelligence. It's just really an amazing phone. It also has one other first, which is it has an in-screen fingerprint reader. So if you just touch your finger to the center of the screen, that's what you need to do. It reads your fingerprint. There's no button. There's no knob. There's no space. The reader sits under the screen and uses ultrasonic waves to read your fingerprint right through the screen. So it's pretty cool. But overall, that is going on sale. It's on pre-order from Wednesday, yesterday. 
um, and it's going on sale, will be on sale from the 1st of November. The price is high. It's 18999, which matches the price in many ways of the Galaxy Note 9. And it is a very different device. It has some amazing capabilities. The cameras are incredible. The overall quality looks really good. Often comes down to personal choice, but certainly the new Mate 20 Pro, which launched, which is launching now on sale in a couple of days, is a really serious competitor for smartphone of the year and certainly brings the competition to the big boys, Samsung and Apple, in quite a significant way. The proof always is in the pudding. When I've spent a little bit of time, I'll be able to tell you what it feels like, how it performs. But all the initial impressions, all the initial reviews from the launch, which was only one week ago or just over a week ago in London on the 16th of October, um, are extremely positive. This certainly does look like a significant flagship phone. And Huawei also mentioned a really interesting thing. They've increased the number of service points across the country to 34, and they can guarantee if you go into one of their main service points, you can get service within an hour, which I think is quite an important thing. There are no free screen repairs, etc., etc., on the current on this model as of now, but certainly uh, it comes with a standard one-year warranty and all the other service and support that uh, you sort of expect from a high-end flagship phone. It comes in two colors, a black and a sort of um, aurora blue. In other words, it changes. As you look at it, it, the colors change. So that seems to be the choice of the, the smartphones for this year. But again, as I say, if you're an iPhone fan, the XR comes out tomorrow. It's on sale in South Africa along with the rest of the world. certainly seems that South Africa, from a smartphone point of view, is becoming more and more relevant. All the manufacturers are releasing their devices really very quickly. They're not delaying. And you're getting them as quickly as you could anywhere else. The good old days when people used to fly overseas or get their friends to bring the phones in before they were launched in South Africa because we waited a couple of months are long gone. All the big manufacturers are taking South Africa extremely seriously. And um, it appears that the smartphone market is still buoyant. It's still growing. People are buying and um, all is going well for the manufacturers. So I will bring you the full review as soon as I can, but significant launch and um, significant updates. Now, in our Tech Talk Cafe segment coming up in a few minutes, which you must stay tuned to, I've got Adam Pantanovitz, who is an engineer and we're going to be talking about hacking the human. It's the most interesting chat I've had for a long time. Again, it was from the Singularity U. And he's talking about all the amazing advances in technology where, you know, technology is embedded on the brain and they can read the sort of information and what to expect in the future. Adam is an engineer at WITS. They've done some groundbreaking research in the space. And it's just cool to speak to someone who's local, who is doing really futuristic stuff with technology and medical technology, which is a field that is exploding. Technology is certainly, if it's changing our lives, you know, in day to day, the technology impact on medical and biomedical uh, fields has been absolutely enormous. So stay tuned for that chat. It's really going to be pretty impressive. Now, before we uh, break for our next uh, little ad break, Samsung, uh, have decided it's their birthday, and they've decided that from now till the 31st of October, they are doing some amazing, amazing specials um, before the Black Friday sales. Now, Black Friday, 
was a big American thing. It's coming to, it's come to South Africa. It's been here a few years already and it's become the big sort of kickoff to the holiday season shopping. And the specials are pretty insane. I mean, checkers and Hyperama have done it and you cannot move near them. People go a little bit nuts, but the good news is, Samsung have launched a whole ton of interesting things. It ran from the 25th to the 31st of October, and there are a lot of really good specials. Example, their 75-inch QLED TV is down with a free soundless, uh, wireless soundbar is down to 49999 Expensive, but great TV. And there's a whole lot of other. There's UHD TVs for 8999 There's a whole host you can get a Galaxy S9 Plus for 14999 which is still a top-end phone. They're doing some specials on the S8 and S8 Plus for around about 12 grand and 10 grand respectively. So some great specials from Samsung. If you were holding out for your Samsung uh, device or TV or whatever it is that you're looking for, maybe now's the time to buy it because I don't believe these prices will drop much, if at all, for Black Friday. But uh, everyone's trying to get in. At least uh, the tough times are making our retailers try to get our rand to extend just a little bit more. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Adam Pantanovitz, who will be telling us all about hacking the human. with Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome to Tech Talk Cafe, and with me at, in Kailami at the Singularity U, I keep calling it a conference, but it's actually, they call it a summit, is Adam Pantanovitz. Now, Adam is going to be telling us a little bit about the brain and technology, which sounds maybe a little bit disconnected. But welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about what we're talking about. You're talking about the brain, you're talking about tech, and how the two come together. Absolutely. So I know that these two worlds seem hugely disconnected. But funnily enough, what we're starting to see in technology is much more close integration between humans and technology. We're actually starting to see some convergence happening where humans are more connected up in terms of their devices, devices that may sit on their bodies. Like these Fitbits and all these things that people wear. Absolutely, which effectively take data from the surface of your body and get that data into some application. And there's a future in this where it's not just about surface devices, but in fact about integrating the body or the brain with technology. That that opens up a whole host of not only ethical and technical issues, but the whole concept of connecting your brain externally. How is that actually possible? Is it possible today? Is it something that people are doing? How is that happening? So I completely agree that the ethical considerations are vast and we really need to consider those ethical implications. But to answer your question on this, I think that at the moment there is a vast amount of interest in this field. So historically we've used measurements such as electroencephalogram or EEG, which you may know from a medical context allows you to stream or take data from the surface of the skull. And this is effectively electrical activity in the brain that propagates through to the surface of the skull. That data has been measured in the past for medical applications and for, in particular for diagnostic medicine, where you want to look if there's, as a clinician, you may want to understand what the brain activity is to diagnose something like epilepsy, for instance. Now, what's seemingly happening now is that these use cases for things like EEG or for applications like EEG or measurements like EEG are being extended. 
and the extension is moving us into interesting potential futures. So I'll give you some examples. At Wits University, a team and myself, we worked on a project which we called Braintonet. Fantastic, what a well, word. Some people in South yeah. Africa say bra internet. Well, there are lots of bras <laughs> here, but anyway. Absolutely. And uh, we called it Braintonet. Effectively what it was, it was a live stream in a portable way of brain signals using EEG onto a server, onto the internet. And then we started to build software applications on top of that. Because I think that it's one thing to measure. It's one thing to collect. But I suppose the magic happens when you've got the data. Very true. The magic happens once you have collected the data and you can start to build applications on top of this. So you have the data stream and then the applications is really where a lot of the magic will occur. That, that layer is, is of particular interest. You may also be interested that very recently, just two weeks ago, released in archive, there's a paper called BrainNet that some researchers have produced, which effectively describes a scenario where three people were able to play Tetris without <laughs> I just, I each just other. I think I read about this. Yeah, carry on. It's a fascinating yeah. idea, and they use a transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a technique of getting information into the brain, along with electroencephalogram, which we were chatting about a little measuring bit. Measuring what's going on. Measuring what's going on. Created what's called hybrid brain-computer interfaces, or BCIs. So I love acronyms, but carry on, yeah. Acronyms for everything. Yeah, yeah. And BCIs really are these interfaces that allow you to integrate and interface with the brain. Now, these two applications that I speak to you about so far are very surface applications. They don't invade. They're non-invasive. So no surgery is required. You kind of just... You just wear one of those funny little sensor hats. Precisely. And they've managed to play a game of Tetris now. So this is groundbreaking and in the field of BCIs should this this paper you know it's it's not yet peer-reviewed I have to say that however it looks incredibly promising it looks like sound research to me and this field is is uh, ripe for explosion so you may have heard of Elon Musk's idea of Neuralink yes Neuralink is this veiled behind a curtain company that has claimed to be revolutionary in terms of brain implants now, that is an invasive process. In other words, they put a little sensor actually in the brain to pick up signals. Absolutely. A sensor into the brain picks up signals, transmits data, possibly bidirectionally, to and from the brain. Now we're talking about cyborgs of note. We are. And, you know, I make the point that I think we're already somewhat cyborgs. I think that what we see with technology is, you know, it's quite slow moving and then it's very fast. Technology is slow and then very rapid. At the moment... Our, a lot of our consciousness exists on a cloud. We spend time tweeting. We put data into that system. We want to synchronize our own minds with the cloud when we get a push notification. A lot of our consciousness in some funny way may exist there already. But that's very filtered. I mean, let's not get very philosophical true. here. That's right. the external <laughs> manifestation of who you are. Imagine being able to read the brain without any interface and understanding what's going on and knowing what's happening and mapping what it means without that sort of human interface going on. Yes. Isn't that pretty much where this technology may ultimately go? Very much so, and that, I believe, is where it's going. So you're right. Right now, that's a bit of a philosophical view. Practically, these brain implants may be utterly transformative. You may have no visible interface. You could have something implanted in your brain, and you could have bidirectional communication with the network. Now... This is real astounding. Science fiction. <laughs> it is science yeah. fiction. And, and while we say technology is moving slow, 
it's suddenly extremely rapid. And we're starting to see amazing advances in this field. So I met a guy, if I, if I can quickly tell you Carry a brief up. story. Um, I met a guy recently, Matt Eagles, who is in the UK and he suffers from Parkinson's. And he's had a brain implant for a number of years. His brain implant allows him to function normally on a day-to-day basis. And he actually goes out almost as his career to advocate for brain technology. He goes and speaks to people about why these technologies are important. So just to juxtapose the idea of a potential future that seems quite science fiction with the now where... The reality of what's happening at the moment. What's happening and has been for a number of years where patients like Matt have had their lives radically transformed to the point that he is an advocate of this. So he doesn't shake when the implant's working, he's fully functional. very functional when, you know, he's got a remote control and he (laughs) says, I'm the only man that can be turned on by remote control. He's a great guy. And he's an inspiration because when he turns off his device, he is functionally disabled. He he cannot do anything. He relies on this and advocates for it while he's enabled by it, which is a magical thing. But now, where does that go logically? I mean, you had a little talk called Hacking the Human earlier. Yes. But where does this all go logically? Is this actually going to bring transformative things to human beings going forward? There's no doubt in my mind that it is. And if we try to connect the dots and extrapolate this forward, sort of not even at the knee of the Mm. curve in my view, and so we really early days. We are very early days, early days. Even though the, this field has been advanced over a number of years, the field is not yet in that exponential phase, in my belief. And it will be a convergence of a variety of technologies that ripen simultaneously, and the confluence of those technologies will create this incredible potential going forward. So if Neuralink is able to do what it does, then we start getting the first layer of interaction bidirectionally between the brain and the cloud. And then we start to so build... sort of br- a brain-machine interface. Exactly. And from there, we start to collect data. We start to build applications on top of that. Innovation starts to happen. We start to worry about security, ethics, privacy, these important attributes that we struggle with so much now in technology. But they become so visceral and intimate. Well, imagine being able to connect to a billion people's implants in their heads and send them information. I mean, the issues are endless. The issues are endless. And this is something that, you know, when we were dealing with brain internet, I mentioned earlier in my talk, I expected that in 10 years we would have a bidirectional network. Two years. <laughs> that is the pace Isn't of technology. Isn't that the pace of tech? And that's what feels so rapid that we as linear thinkers, because we're in a linear world with linear measurements we are linear creatures but what would the tangible benefits of having such an interface that perhaps we can't do today okay great question and i think the imagination really is ironically the limit but if i can talk about some practical practical examples the first would be for me real-time diagnostic medicine it enables a variety of diagnostic medical applications which are inaccessible to us at the moment around brain health around body health and around being able to measure different aspects of the homeostasis that's going on in our bodies at all times to keep our body on an even kill. It will not only enable medical applications, which I think is really the starting point, and a lot of these technologies are born out of medical necessity, and then we extrapolate them into a variety of interesting fields, one of which is, for instance, being able to access information nearly instantaneously. Without the filter of your eye or a phone or anything. Precisely. Precisely. Without the filter of your eye or a phone. These phones, which are so technologically advanced and so remarkable, 
could disappear before our very eyes, like smoke signals used to for communication. We don't use them anymore. So the idea of an implant, you just go and you connect it and, 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 and it's there. I don't think that's outside the realm of imagination or possibility. Whereas in the 1990s and 80s, I think people... It was totally not... It was in the realm of sci-fi. Yeah. And now, you know, I often question myself thinking, I'm a scientist. Is it, is it fine for me to extrapolate this and say, this is well within the realm of possibility now? And that is my belief. <laughs> well, but empirically, it is happening. So, yes. So, exactly. Now, not only do... Parts of our consciousness in a philosophical yeah. sense exist on our yeah. devices, right? But it, it is happening. There's good evidence to show that these things are becoming more possible. You just look at what people are doing with EEG and controlling, you know, robotic arms, for instance, and you look so at prosthetics and all that type of stuff. Exactly, prosthetics. I mean, one of my colleagues has an unbelievable project at WITS where they're controlling robotic arm using the brain. And that simply measures the electrical signals sent from the brain into the arm. Exactly. Which is Dinkum science fiction. It is. That is science fiction. But people are moving remote robotic arms that are not attached to their body using EEG. We have this incredible, powerful signal that is generated with intention to move. It's like thought, because I'm just intending it, Mm. but it's much much more readily available than thought. Thought is quite subtle. And subdued. multi-layered, perhaps. Definitely. And deep. Whereas the intention to move is a very powerful signal. And this is being quite well exploited now to control external devices. There is a world of possibilities. So we touch on a few here. Moving robotic arms. We touch on the access to information in the cloud. Ultimately, enable any imaginative technology like telekinesis. The ability to move something in your house because it is also on the network. And what we eventually see is that we exist as a network of people, interconnected humans, on the <laughs> Internet of Things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We create... We become another thing. Internet of people. Oh. A lot of stories about that one. But anyway, yeah. And I know we're not our car keys. Yes. So we need to apply great consideration to this because it, it's, it almost could be on the grounds of offensive to people that this, this could happen. We have to treat it with the respect and consideration it deserves. But... But tech, I, I accept that, and this is a tech program, so we won't get into the philosophy sure. of tinkering with people's minds. But the truth be told, the technology is available. The data collection capacity has now grown, to, and, and the processing power attached to that has grown to a point where certain functions of the brain can be replicated in electronics. Do you see that growing exponentially going forward and, and, and the types of capabilities that humans will have because of that, are, are they also changing? Yes, if I can go out on a limb, so to yeah. speak. We've been almost in a phase of mainframe computing. And Where recently, they're big boxes and they're clunky. They're big. They take up a whole room and it's not literally the case. You know, EEGs mm. now are consumer grade. You can, you can almost get a pair of glasses that has, well, in fact, you can, that has an EEG capability at some level. Um, but I want to I want to talk more generally about the field being analogous to that idea of being in the in the past in mainframe mm. state, and we're starting now to see that transition. It's going to happen so much more quickly. Than there is no doubt. As you said, you were talking two ten years and 
10 years and suddenly it was two years. Right. And that's a product of my linear yeah. thinking as a, as a person, as a human. And I'm very intrigued by this field. So I'm thinking about it often. It's still, I thought it's 10 years out. Now we're two years out and that has happened. Now the so next what else will happen, happen type of thing? And it's just, it's exciting as can be. That's pretty amazing. So people are becoming part of the machine. And and obviously there's psychological issues, but mainly if you just focus on functional issues. Imagine working in, in the world of technology with your mind. Seamlessly, no interruption. You never have to put your head on a charger. Things like that <laughs> could be could be quite fascinating. It does open up the world of possibility. What it also does is, and it needs the right treatment because it's almost so invasive now that technology workers, people who work in software, can carry their whole office, their entire office around with them at any time, access their entire world. All they really need is an internet connection, a laptop, and possibly some coffee, <laughs> depending on the time. No, of definitely day. coffee. Definitely coffee. Coffee is a total analog must-have. Must have. Let's it. let's just move on from there. That's anyway, very yeah, true. Yeah, but we are treading on thin ice in a way where a lot of people are feeling technology is pervasive. It does impact their lives, and focusing on the tech, I know, is is uh, the purpose of our conversation. But it has to be mentioned that no, people, fair enough. We work in society, issue. and it it becomes quite a serious thing. Is a lot of work being done around that? I mean, obviously you, anything you do in research has to go through a whole ethics yes. set up and it's, it's not so simple. No. But, but the whole brain interface area, is that become quite a big thing globally? Are you finding there are a lot of people working in that space right now? I think there are a number of very excellent researchers who work in this space. In as specific a field as, for instance, what light does in the visual cortex and how that stimulates it's measured. So there is a great deal of research happening. I think it's going to be an exploding field of research if we get to the point where we extrapolate to what we're discussing. I think it's going to become a vastly uh, more interesting field as it becomes more accessible. At the moment, I believe that the field is still in its infancy, ripe for innovation, and shows lots of promise technologically. That's pretty amazing. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for sharing some of these crazy visions of the future and how the human is going to be hacked. Uh, maybe that's bad terminology. <laughs> but hacking the human in the normal tense of, of improving exactly. and changing and making better is probably the vision that we all need for the future. So thanks so much for joining us. And we'll keep watching you. We'll try to get you back on when you've really broken through Another boundary in this space. Thanks so Stephen, much. Thank you so much. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And that was just such a stimulating discussion about stuff that feels completely science fiction. I mean, imagine connecting your brain to the Internet and sharing information on that way. Apart from, as we discussed, all the ethical issues, the sheer power of not needing a device. Imagine if all this technology spoke directly to your brain, messages popped up in your head. I mean, it sounds like complete science fiction, but guys out there, technologists, scientists, engineers are working on this type of problem. The brain is a complex machine. It does work on electrical energy. They're discovering new and new stuff all the time. So the, 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 the machine technology interface, the human technology interface, is probably going to evolve at a pace that most of us would be quite 
scared and uncomfortable of, but it probably will bring huge benefits to all of us going forward. So stay tuned. We'll try to bring you more info around that as we go along. Um, but right now I have a quick um, live read. The Bucky Draw will take place on Sunday at 1 o'clock at the Norwood Hyper Car Park. Now, uh, it's a bit of a bad live read. I have no idea what the Bucky draw is. But anyway, no further entries will be accepted after 11 o'clock on the 28th of October 2018. All entrants are to be present at the draw in order to be considered eligible as a possible prize winner. So if you want to, want to win a Bucky, um, you need to be participate before 11 o'clock on the 28th of October. I'm not exactly sure where, but this is probably Norwood Moor. And you have to be present at 1 o'clock at Norwood Hyper in the car park to if your name's drawn. So if you enter, please be there. On Sunday the 28th of October, there'll be a lot of activity in the car park. Moose Pie Works and Ringo will be selling Halav Israel and Mahadran com- uh, Commission products. And if you spend one and a half thousand rand on groceries, you stand to win a spin on the wheel for a prize. Lots of specials. Rabbi, Rabbi Kravitz will do the draw. Anyway, we need to sort that one out. Now we're on to my, once again, always have too little time for this, but one of my favorite parts of the show, and that is actually the gadgets that I get a chance to play with. And this year I was extremely fortunate to play with the latest LG C8 OLED 4K TV. Now I've been a big fan of OLED for a couple of years already. I do believe that OLED TVs, now OLED, the difference between LED TVs and OLED it's one little letter, but it completely changes the technology. An LED TV is a passive device. In other words, there's an LCD screen with light shining from the back, and there are lots of techniques and tricks and ways of controlling that light so you see it coming through the screen, all the various colors, and you see a wonderful picture. Um, some companies have really pushed that technology right to the bleeding edge where the pictures are absolutely spectacular. The blacks are black. The whites are white, and there are some outstanding TVs that run on the LCD or real light or non-emissive technologies that exist in the television world. And often when you go shopping, you see a whole host of TVs. They look extremely similar. It becomes a bit of a hit and miss. Which one do you choose? So you buy the brand you know. You buy a brand you trust. Well, OLED turned that all on its head. You wander into a shop. You take one look at an OLED TV, and... If nothing else, it looks completely different to any other TV out there for one simple reason. The panel itself is emissive. In other words, if on 4K there are millions and millions of dots uh, on the screen, and each one is a light in and of itself. So every single dot on that screen, all millions of them, emits light all by itself. And the benefit of that is that, number one, the screens are extremely thin. Number two, there's no bleed from bit to bit. So dot to dot, if a dot's on, it has color. If the dot's off, it's absolutely black. So OLED TVs offer incredible black, in fact, almost perfect blacks, as well as a whole host of other benefits of contrast and color. And they've been getting better and better and better as we go along. Now, LG has got pretty much the lock on that. OLED screens made for, for 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 phones and for other purposes are made by many, many other companies. But LG are the only ones who make massive 55-inch and above screens for TVs that you can buy. Sony use them, Panasonic use them, Philips use them, Lover use them, pretty much anyone who issues sells an LG TV, Skyworth, you name it, they all use LG panels. To good or bad effect, but LG 
have a great range in this country. And I must tell you, I spent a little bit of time with the OLED TV. The first thing I have to note, it takes about a week for the TV to settle in. It's spectacular out of the box, but after a week, all the, the brightness settles down, the colors improve, the contrast improves, and the picture is just staggering. Feed it a high-end 4K HDR or Dolby Vision signal from you know, if you've got a good internet uh, and you get this, people have asked me, where do you get these this content? Netflix, um, Amazon Prime or Amazon Video is available in South Africa. You just pay for the higher range and you get all these products. The picture quality using those high quality sources is without question the most realistic, best color, best blacks, best detail that you will see on any product on any TV out there. There is one little drawback of OLED. If you've got an incredibly bright room, the ultimate brightness of an OLED TV is somewhat limited. It's round about 80%, 70%, maybe even a little below some of the others' competitors on the market. But for the average listening or viewing room, the average, especially in the evenings when lights are controlled, the picture is absolutely spectacular. The new LG C8, the good news is, I, I looked at the 65, um, I looked at the 65 inch, which is quite expensive. The price actually has dropped from last year, selling around about 49,995 in the market. And, um, the picture, as I said, is spectacular. The design and build is really cool. It's Ultra, ultra slim except for a slightly wider base where all the electronics sit on the back. There are other models where that's removed and put into a soundbar, but they tend to be a lot more expensive. The one benefit is that on all the LG OLED TVs for 2018, even the 2017 models, the panels are identical. So the picture quality you get is exactly the same. What you do get is different, you know, physical constructions, thinner mount on the wall, sound bars at the bottom. The one thing that LG have done on this latest version of their their TV is they've improved the sound quite dramatically. The stand, very cleverly, has been turned into a sound focusing device. Before it was just a flat aluminium stand which held the TV. Now it seems to be a bit of a waveguide, a sound guide where the speakers in the electronics box fire down and it gets radiated out to the room. I still suggest because no super thin TV can have a decent speaker in it. So the sound is always a bit anemic. A sound bar or a home theater system or some form of external speaker is absolutely needed. But as a standalone, in a, in a big room, I could quite comfortably listen to the built-in speakers. Apparently it's got Dolby Atmos. I couldn't really get the, the, the feel of that out of a tiny little speaker that was shooting from the bottom. But certainly the blacks, the vivid color, the it comes with Google Assistant, though not in South Africa for yet. Apparently, they're going to be enabling that quite soon. So you can just simply speak to your TV, tell it what you want it to do. It'll switch on. It'll switch off. It'll find um, – it obviously needs to be connected to the Internet. It does a whole host of interesting stuff. But I must tell you, apart from certain little niggles, such as once you get the, the picture quality set up right, it comes automatically. The one thing that I think they should change – out of the box, when you switch it on, it enables eco mode. And what eco mode does, it reads the light in the room and minimizes energy usage of the TV. Now, you spent a lot of money on a TV for the best picture. And what eco mode does is it dulls the TV down so the picture's quite dark and, and not vivid, which for me is a crime. So the first thing you need to do if you get yourself a, 
uh, LG C8 is switch eco mode off wherever you can find it. The other thing you need to do is you need to select there's, there's a standard picture profile and then there's um, an expert picture profile, which definitely improves the picture. And you have to select that for every single input. The other thing that I found that the built-in apps are outstanding and the picture quality on the built-in apps for Netflix, for Amazon Prime, for um, all the various streaming services are far better on the TV itself rather than using a little set-top box. So if you've got a little Roku or one of those other boxes, even the Apple um, the Apple TV box, the picture quality through the own built-in app is excellent. And what really sets the uh, LG C8 apart from the previous generation of OLED is it has a brand-new processor, which is instantly, you can see it instantly. I have the 2017 version, and compared, the, it's sharper, it's clearer, there are less processing artifacts. So when you look at blue skies, there's less noise in it. It's just, without question, one of the best TVs on the market. Here's a quick heads up. Apparently, Dion is Dion Wired is doing a, a special on TVs, home theater special. And you can pick up some 4K OLEDs uh, at under 20,000 Rand, which is quite a big, 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 big deal. But if you're looking for, in my opinion, the finest viewing experience from a TV on the market currently, the LG C8 OLED comes from 55 inches to 65 inches. I think there's even a 72-inch version at an obscene amount of money. They are, without question, the finest TV that I've lived with. Not just watched, there's some really impressive TVs out there, but the LG OLED to live with is an absolute pleasure. It's sharp, it's clear, it does a pretty good job on normal HD, HD or SD content like normal broadcast. On a DSTV decoder, the picture is outstanding because that is in full HD. And it really does an amazing job. But when you play Dolby Vision or HDR content from the various streaming services, the picture is without question outstanding. So... If you are in the market for such a high-end TV and you've got a little bit of spare money from your bonus this year, who knows? But um, this certainly is a, a really great way to spend it. Now, we have to have a quick break for um, our, our advertisers, and then we'll be back with a quick roundup on the TV and an app that I reckon that everybody should start using for a couple of really good use- reasons. Fire FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And the Shabbos Project is back. It's that time of the year. The, pe- the people electric and the stores are packed. It's time when the world comes together, keeps it together, and lives it together. This year's Shabbos project is merely days away, and it truly promises to be the best one yet. So keep a lookout for your area's programs. The youth have taken over, and they've created a little bit of a revolution, as the youth do. Let's get ready to make history. For more info and to find out what's going on at your shul, go to theshabbosproject.org. That's one word, the shop. I can't even say it. The Shabbosproject.org. Let's keep it together. Now, just to wrap up the OLED TV thing, there are a couple of models out there, but in the South African market, as far as I know, the only OLED TV that is available is the LG. I've seen the Sony versions of them. They're outstanding as well, slightly higher priced. But I think the 55-inch you can probably get at a slightly well, significantly lower price than the 65-inch that I reviewed. And depending on your room, it may well be big enough. 
But there's no question that LG have done amazing things with their OLED TVs. And um, as I said, if you're really in the market for something that's high-end and will last a good while and give you probably the finest picture you've ever seen, because once you've watched OLED, it's very difficult to go back to LCD, which always looks a little gray and washed out. So think about it, uh, consider it if you're looking at that range of TV, and definitely check it out before you spend a lot of money on a high-end TV. Now, before we end for the, the week, and next week I'll be coming live from Lisbon in Portugal, where um, I'm attending something called the Web Summit, which is one of the largest startup and new technology shows, in fact, one of the largest technology shows in the world. There are tons of speakers with, from across the spectrum of technology, startups from early startups to really big startups or not even startups, ongoing companies looking to make lots of money and grow. People such as, I hope you even get Elon Musk there, should be very interesting. And I'll bring you that show live from Lisbon next week. But before we get there, there's one app that I think everybody should take another look at, and that's called Facebook Messenger. Facebook have or are busy rolling out a massive improvement to that uh, Facebook Messenger. It used to be part of the Facebook app. So if you have a smartphone with Facebook, you used to have Messenger built in. It's now a separate app you've got to download. I suggest you do for one, for two very important reasons. One, it has amazing features that are very similar to WhatsApp, but it has one huge benefit. Every device, your computer, multiple phones, wherever you are, when you log in with your Messenger or your Facebook profile, it replicates across everything. The problem when you've got a WhatsApp on, you cannot have it on two phones. If you've got WhatsApp, you can't have it on your computer. But Facebook Messenger is available across everything. So if you send a message, the only problem is when someone sends you a message on Messenger, if you've got two phones like I do, or three or four on, on occasion, all four of them beep to show you what, do, what you're doing. But all the other functionality is equivalent to WhatsApp in many, many, many respects. And as you know, Facebook owns WhatsApp, which is quite weird. But if you're looking for an alternative and you're looking for something that works across platform, the new Facebook Messenger is simple, clean, there's a dark mode, and it works exactly the same as WhatsApp. It's highly recommended. might be a good way to communicate with your Facebook friends and with anyone else. The difference also is that it's not linked directly to a phone number. So you potentially will get a lot less random WhatsApps from people that you've never heard of. And on that note, I can see we're pretty much running out of time. I'm going to call it a day. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.